We understand that covenant is all about relationships. It's all about relationships. It's all about building better relationships. As a matter of fact, um, I gave you a, d- a definition of covenant by uh, Pastor Chris Hodges, who's one of my favorites, and it was simply this. Covenants are a solemn, ag- solemn agreement between two parties for the purpose, uh, purposes of creating and maintaining successful relationships. This is what covenants are all about. They're about creating and maintaining successful relationships in your life. But if we're so busy going through life trying to have covenant relationships but treating them like contract relationships, we're going to get ourselves in trouble. We're going to end up paying a price for it but because there are certain relationships in your life, your relationship with God, your relationship with your spouse, your relationship uh, with your family, your relationship with your church. These relationships were designed to be covenant relationships and we treat them like contracts. We pay an awful price but the good news is that God is a healer and he wants to come through for you. Now, if you, I don't have time to do a full recap of that today, uh, but if you missed part one, please go back and listen to it. You can listen on your app. You can also follow along with our sermon notes today. As a matter of fact, grab your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And I want to read just a couple of verses to you, and then we'll move backwards to the Old Testament. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at some of the covenants that God made and how they are fulfilled in our new covenant. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we'll begin in verse 23. If you're there, say amen. If you're watching online, get your Bible, get ready to learn today. We're going to have a lot of fun. I'm going to teach you some things, uh, but you're going to learn some great things about how much God really loves you and he's committed to you today. Here we go. For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. Now this is Paul talking about what happened on the night of the Passover when Jesus had the Passover meal with his disciples. Somehow, and and you can study this in scripture, the Holy Spirit led Paul to the backside of the desert And Paul missed all of this time. Paul was not a disciple of Christ. In fact, after after Christ's death, Paul was uh, one of the Jews that was going around killing Christians. But when God got a hold of his heart and changed his heart, he took him to the backside of the desert and allowed him to relive many of those moments. That's why Paul gives you oftentimes firsthand accounts even though he wasn't there. It's like God rewinded the tape and let Paul be a part of it. There's a message in there that God can catch you up on things you may have missed. Stuff that, stuff that you may have missed out on in your life and because you're off doing other things, but God can catch you up. But that's a ne- message for another day. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this to remember me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after saying, This cup is the new covenant. Now everybody say that with me, new covenant. It's the new covenant uh, between God and his people. 
So here's God one more time. There are actually six or seven different covenants that we see throughout Scripture. Of course, you know the old covenant, the covenant of Moses, the, the covenant of the law. This is the covenant of, of Jesus, the covenant of grace. There's the Davidic covenant. Uh, there's, there's a number of different covenants th- th- that we see throughout Scripture. This is the last one and the most important one for us. And Jesus says, I'm changing the deal right here. You have been living under an old covenant, but I'm about to give you something new. Jesus has been talking to them about it. He's been trying to describe it to them. And now he says, I'm giving you a new covenant, and it is between God and his people. If you want to be one of God's people, the connection point is his covenant. It's the thing that joins us together. And then he goes on to say, it's an agreement confirmed with my blood. This gives us a hint here. This is actually a blood covenant. Now, some of the things that we know about Scripture that we don't often know uh, when we're just reading Scripture, but uh, as we study, we realize that the Bible was written most often to a specific group of people for a specific purpose. And they would use certain terms that they expected their audience to understand. So when Jesus says here, this is a new covenant of my blood, he expects that we, the reading reading audience, understand what a blood covenant is. Why? Because when Jesus was talking to his disciples, his disciples lived and understood covenants. So Jesus didn't have to break it all down when he said covenant. They just knew what it meant. But today, we don't live in the same culture. We don't live in a Jewish culture or a Hebrew culture. We live in an American culture. And so what we have to do is we have to break down what Jesus was talking about because held within these few words that the writer wrote down in quoting Jesus is this great love story between God and man and the promises that it holds. But if we don't understand the covenant, we'll be losing parts and pieces that might have the power to change your life. So what I want to do today is I want to take a few minutes and and I want to give you the different pieces of a blood covenant, of a Hebrewic uh, blood covenant. And let's break it down and let's talk about how Christ is the fulfillment of that and how it might change your life. Would you like to know? All right. Let's go now to Genesis chapter 15 verse 1. Genesis chapter 15, verse 1. I'm going to read several verses here, so hang with me. Are you all okay today? You're watching online? You ready to learn? It's going to be a good day. Genesis chapter 15, verse 1. Sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision and said to him, do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you and your reward will be great. Now that's a great promise in and of itself. I'm going to protect you. This is the God who created the heavens and the earth. He says, I'm going to protect you and your reward will be great. I'm going to give you great things. I don't know about you, but I love it when God rewards me and I could use a few more. And God didn't say your reward's going to be okay. He said, no, your reward reward will be great. He goes on. 
But Abraham or Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? Understand, Abram was already a rich man. When we hear the word blessing, so often we equate, we equate it to financial blessing, right? If I say God's going to bless you, how many of you were thinking about a new car or a new house or some new clothes? Those are some of the blessings of God, but they're not limited to that. And Abram, he already had tons of money. He already had servants. He already had uh, sheep and donkeys and camels and uh, uh, tents and all this stuff. He was already a great man, a, a ruler in his own right. And he says, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? Since you've given me no children, Eleazar of Damascus, a servant in my household, will inherit all of my wealth. Everything I have, there's nowhere for it to go. I've built all this on my own. I don't need your blessings, God, to help me get that. You've given me no descendants of my own, so one of my servants will be my heir. Verse 4. Then the Lord said to him, no, you misunderstand. Your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son, your own, who will be your heir. Now, wait a second here now. Abram is an old man. Abram is saying this to God. God, I have plenty of blessings. I have plenty of money. You could give me more, and it would be fine, but what am I going to do with it? Turn it over to my servant? There's no one to pass it to. I need you to do for me something I can't do for myself. I need you to bless me. I need you to reward me. I need you to do something for me I couldn't do myself. And that is have a child. When you can have children, doesn't seem like that big of a deal. When you messed up one time, had one accident and ended up with a child, doesn't seem like that big of a deal. But if you have spent your entire life wanting a child and never could have it, because your body wouldn't allow it. Suddenly you put yourself in the life of Abram and Sarah who are old people and they realize I've collected all of this stuff but it doesn't even matter because there's one thing I can't do for myself and I need you to do that God. And here's what God says, my, my blessings don't stop at stuff. I want to do for you what you can't do for yourself. I want to challenge you in your life for just a moment. When you enter into covenant with God, he doesn't just say he's going to give you stuff, but he wants to do for you things you could never do on your own. And that's the power of God at work in your life. If you can do, your, do it on your own, why do you need God? The way he shows himself strong in your life is to do for you what you can't do for yourself. We'll keep moving because you aren't enjoying today, so that's all right. <laughs> Then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. So he has, here's a guy who has no sons, no daughters, no descendants, and God says, come outside of your tent, and I want to take the ceiling off of your life. I want you to see something you've never been able to see before, and I want you to realize you're going to have more descendants than you can even count. This to a guy who could never have one child. God wants to take the ceiling off of your life. That's what a covenant with God does. It takes the ceiling off of your life. He said, come outside of the tent because you can't see under the ceiling what I actually want to do for you. How many ceilings do you have in your life that you need to remove? 
so you can see the promises that God has for you. And Abraham, or Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. So he believed God. Okay, God, I believe you're able. Verse 7. Then the Lord told him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land as your possession. Now, he's backtracking. He said, remember, Abram, I called you out of a land, and I told you to follow me, and you did that. I told you I would give you a land, and I, we are in the process of that, right? So Abram had to trust God before he ever had a covenant with God. We'll come back to that. Verse 8. And I love this question because this, this is one of the most important questions that we're going to ask today and try to answer and that you may have asked in your life. Oh, sovereign Lord, how can I be sure that I will actually possess it? Think about what he's saying. Come outside, stars in the sky. I'm going to give you a promised land. I'm going to give you this land for you and your descendants. And Abram asked this question. I believe you, God, but how can I be sure? one of the most important questions you can ask in your life you come in here and you read scripture you read the bible the uh, you know your pastor talks to you or you hear somewhere else god's going to do this he's going to do that he's got this great promise and you want to believe it but then you also want to know how can i be sure it's going to happen because if i'm going to go out and make life changes if i'm going to go out and talk about it if i'm going to go out and and try to reach those goals and do those things and and build that business or or get out of debt or whatever your dream in your life is whatever god is calling you to how can i know that this is what you promised and that i'm absolutely going to receive it how can i be sure is that a fair question to ask of god how can i be sure we're talking to a god that we've never seen how can I be sure? Verse 9. So here's what God does. He says, okay, Abram, I'm going to respond to your question. And he responds in the culture of the day. In the culture of the day, everyone in, in the known world was taking covenants. They were cutting covenant. And so it's not just in Hebrew culture, but it was in all cultures that were surrounding Abram, everyone that he had seen all the way to the east, all the way down into uh, all parts of the known world at the time, everyone was taking covenants. It was the strongest bond of relationship. It was more than a contract or a treaty. It was a covenant. And so God says this to Abram. He says, I'm going to go to the, the strongest thing that binds us in your known world, and I'm going to use that as assurance that I will do what I've promised that I would do. Here's what he says. The Lord told him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. So Abram presented all these things and killed them. Then he cut each animal down the middle and laid the halves side by side. He did not, however, cut the birds in half. So vultures swooped down to eat the carcasses, but Abram chased them away. And as the sun was going down, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a terrifying darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to Abram, You can be sure that your descendants will be strangers in a foreign land where they will be oppressed as slaves for 400 years, but I will punish the nations that enslave them, and in the end they will come away with great wealth. As for you, you will die in peace and be buried at a ripe old age. After four generations, your descendants will return here to this land. For the sins of the Amorites do not yet warrant their destruction. Verse 17. After the sun went down and darkness fell, Abram saw a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch pass between the halves of the carcasses. So the Lord made a covenant 
with Abram that day. Here's what he did. He said, I'm going to go the strongest connection that you have. I will be bound to this. And he made the specific covenant that he makes with Abram right here is a blood covenant. We, he doesn't say it right here, but when you see the pieces of what went on, you recognize that God entered into a blood covenant. Now remember, we're going to fast forward to the end here in a few moments in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 where Jesus said, this is the new covenant of my blood. So here is an original blood covenant and Jesus is the fulfillment of a blood covenant. Are you tracking with me? All right. And I have given this land to your descendants all the way to the border of Egypt and the great Euphrates River. Now, there are nine parts to a blood covenant. You can, you can study different people, and uh, some of them drop them down to six, some of them put ten, and it's all a matter of semantics. Some they put together, they combine them, some they split, up, split apart. They might call them different names, but you're going to see these things consistently throughout everyone who talks about a blood covenant. You should see these nine things. The thing about a blood covenant is, and this is what God is saying to Abraham, when you made a covenant, you could not break it. You had no choice. And this is, this is the big picture of what God is trying to say to Abram. Abram, I'm making a covenant with you, and what you know is when a covenant is made on earth, it cannot be broken. We'll talk more about that. God never fails us because he can't. He literally can't. He is bound to his covenant. He is bound to his word. He cannot be a liar. He has to do what he says he would do. So he cannot fail us. Number one, the pre-ceremony actions. Pre-ceremony actions. So before they would actually enter into a covenant, they would do some things. They would discuss terms. They would discuss conditions and the promises of a blessing and the warnings of curses. So when, when they entered covenants in the Old Testament, there was a promise of blessing if you did it and curses if you did not live up to the covenant. And they would talk about what those would be. Um, the second thing is that they would choose a representative. So Abram is making a covenant with God, and Abram represents a covenant for all of his descendants. So not everyone had to come and cut covenant with God. You didn't get in a line and one after the other come cut covenant with God and cut covenant with God and cut covenant with God. But Abraham was chosen as a representative to come before God and, and to stand in. Now, Here's the interesting thing that happens in this covenant. In this day, a man could not actually enter into a covenant with a deity or with a God. So God causes Abram to fall asleep. While he's sleeping, here's what happens. An oven and a torch appear before him and they come into covenant together. What do the oven and the torch represent? The oven represents God the Father. Why? Because Jesus tells him, him that all bread of life comes from the Father. So the oven represents the source of life or the source of bread. Are you tracking with me? So on one hand, we have this oven. This is God the Father. The source of all life is entering in covenant. So what does the torch mean? The torch represents Jesus because he is the light of the world. So even in this covenant, 
all the way back to Abram. Long before Jesus was born, thousands of years before Jesus was born, we see Jesus stepping in as the mediator of our covenant on behalf of Abram. Too deep for you? Are you okay? This is important because one day in the future... Jesus would enter into a covenant for you and I. But once again, we could not enter into covenant with God on our own. So Jesus had to step in once again as our intermediary or as, or intermediary or as our representative so that he could cut covenant for us. The crazy thing about the covenant that Jesus did, notice, um, you may understand this about Jesus. When he came from heaven, he was 100% fully God. He's not a partial God. He's not a kind of God. He's not a man that did a lot of good things and became a God. The moment he was born on this earth, he was 100% fully God. Jesus said it like this, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Why can he say that? Because he was in heaven when it happened. He is fully God. So he is a representative as God in our new covenant. But he's also came down to be called the son of man. And he was 100% man. If he hadn't been fully man, then he couldn't have represented us once and for all. So Jesus comes in and he is God and he is man all wrapped into one flesh. We're getting somewhere this morning, but it didn't, we're not even close to being there yet. That's what Jesus did for us. He came, and he is representing both sides. He's looking to heaven and saying, God, I am representing man. And he's looking to us, and he's saying, to, to, to you and I, I am God made incarnate, made in flesh for you. So that's part number one, is the pre-ceremony actions. Number two. The first thing that you would do in the actual first part of the ceremony was you would make an exchange. So you would stand there face to face and you would exchange two things. You would exchange a coat or a robe. Coats or robes. Coats or robe, uh, they, would rep they represented the person himself. Um, you remember the story of Joseph and his coat of many colors? It was, it was a representation of of who Joseph was, of the favor that was on his life, of the, of the character that he was. When you gave your coat to someone, and we have lots of coats. I have lots of coats in my closet. I, I don't wear the same coat every day. But if you can imagine, um, it would be more like the coat of, say, a, a doctor's coat. When they put it on, they are putting on a character or a nature or a role or a job, something they've obtained, right? And when, if they were to put it to you, it would be putting on a doctor's robe to you. Does that kind of make, it's, it's kind of hard to say. But, but that's what they would do here, is they would exchange. And when you exchanged coats, you were offering all of yourself to the other person, even your very own life. You are no longer living independently, but you were living as one. You said this, I'm giving you all of my assets and I'm taking all of your liabilities on myself. You're going to get a new position. You're going to get a new character. You're going to get new authority. So track forward with me now all the way back to Jesus. What did Jesus take on for us? The Bible says in 2 Corinthians that God, Christ never sinned, but God put our sin on him. What was the robe? 
that we wore, the coat that we wore, it is a coke coat of sin. Or as the Bible says, I believe it's the prophet Isaiah that says it was a, a rags or filthy rags. We take off our rags and Jesus says, let me have those. What do we get in return? We get a robe of righteousness. Isaiah 61 and 10, he gave us his robe of righteousness. Watch right here. I am overwhelmed with joy in the Lord my God, for he has dressed me with the clothing of salvation and draped me in a robe of righteousness. I am like a bridegroom in his wedding suit or a bride with her jewels. Imagine, this is what Isaiah said. He said, I'm a sinful man. Uh, Remember at the beginning of Isaiah, he said, woe for I am of unclean lips. This was Isaiah, but he said, I can take off my robe of sin and put on his robe of righteousness. Suddenly you feel, ladies, like a bride in this new dress on her wedding day when all the world is about you and you wear a white dress because regardless of your past on this day, you are the bride. And that's what Jesus said. Why do we wear white? Because it's a clean, it's a fresh, it's a new start. And Jesus said, let me put my white robe of righteousness on you. And so there was an exchange of coats. The second thing that they would exchange is they would take off their belt The reason they would take off their belt was because it would hold their weapons. You you might have your CHL, your concealed handgun license, and you carry a pistol on your belt, or you see an officer carry a pistol on his belt. Maybe you carry a knife on your belt, whatever it was. They would carry swords or uh, daggers, whatever it was. They would hang, so they would take off their belt and their weapons. Their belts represented their strength and their ability to fight. And they would hand them to each other. And so this is what they were saying. They were saying, when we exchange belts and weapons, I promise you that if you ever go to war, you will not go to war alone, but I will be fighting for you. Belt represented the strength of man. So he said, I'm giving you all of my strength, all of my power, all of my abilities to fight. I am bringing it to come to bear whenever you need me. If you're right or if you're wrong, I'm coming to your aid. Ah. John 10, 10, the thief came to kill, kill, steal, and destroy, but I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly that despite what he's doing, I could overcome for you. Jesus wants to fight for you. You don't have to go your battles alone. He said this in Romans 8 and 31, if God is for us, then what? Who can be against us? You don't have to go it alone. He wants to fight for you. Uh, 2 Corinthians 12 and 10, when I am weak, I can put on this belt of God, this belt of Christ that says, then I am made strong. And Paul wrote in Philippians 4, 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Because when we come into covenant with God, I'm taking off my weakness. I'm taking off my inability to do it on my own. And I'm taking on his strength and the weapons of his warfare and his ability to fight. And God says, you don't have to go it alone. If you're fighting on your own today, I want to encourage you. Don't fight by yourself, but get into covenant with God and he will fight for you. Hmm. 
Number three, I'm moving quickly here, stay with me. Number three is they would actually, and we read this, they would take the animals uh, of the sacrificial animals and they would cut them in two halves and they would lay them uh, side by side where the blood would flow in the middle. This was the cutting, this was the sacrifice, this was the bloodshed. Two parties then, uh, uh, Pastor Brandon, jump up here with me really quick. Hurry, hurry, you're getting too old. You've got to get quicker than that. You're still, you're still a youth pastor. All right, so we're going to start back to back like this, all right? And then we're going to walk in a figure eight motion. Imagine with me there are two halves of an animal cut in half right here. Can you do it? You sure? Okay, we're going to walk in a figure eight motion. So they would begin walking, and as... <laughs> This is what they would do. Go ahead. They would walk this way, and then they would come back together, and they would stand face to face. As they were walking, they were making declarations. In the cutting is a declaration. Stay right there. And they would make a statement, something like this. May God do so to me and more if I break this covenant. What is he saying? As we're walking together, and starting back to back and then coming together, we're passing around this animal that's been cut in half. And here's was the literal statement that they would make as they're walking. If I don't keep my covenant with you, may God himself split me in half and destroy me. And this is what Jesus said to you. I don't come through with my word if you don't get the salvation that I promised you the eternal life that I've promised you if you if I don't keep up my word may I be destroyed that's how serious God is about keeping his word it's why throughout scripture you, we see the heroes of our faith say God is faithful God is faithful when things don't look right. God is faithful because we may be in the middle of the walk, face that way, and we may not quite can see God. We may not know where he is in the process, but somewhere here he is pronouncing, if I don't live up to this, may I be cut in half and destroyed like the animal. That is what God is saying to you. Thank you, Pastor Brandon. And, and here's what I love. In the new covenant, Jesus is not only working both halves of the covenant for us, but Jesus is actually the sacrificial lamb that's laying open. And so here's what Jesus said. I can't afford not to live up to it because I've already given my life and I've already laid down my life and I've already gone to the cross and you, uh, my blood has already been shed to confirm the word that I promised you. There was a cutting. Number four is the blood. And we, and we see, so we've got a pre-ceremony actions, we've got an exchange, we've got a cutting, and then we have the blood, the blood. So they would come together. I'm sorry, Pastor Brandon, jump back up here. I, I shouldn't have let you do that. Okay, here we go again, waiting five minutes for you to get on up here. <laughs> so, so what they would do then, and, they, and there were several ways that they could do this. They would often cut their right palms, and they would either put some of the blood in a cup of wine, Mix it around and drink it. Or 
they would grab right hands like this as they came face to face and they've just made this covenant, may God do this or more. And while they were grabbing hands, the, the wounds were facing each other and their blood would be intermingling. Blood represents your life. Blood represents the, the life source in you. If you have no blood, how many of you know you're not walking out the door today? Blood represents life. And so here's what, here's what uh, in, the, in the new covenant, it's this. We come together and we, and we say, uh, and in old covenants, uh, my life is yours. Everything I have belongs to you. Everything you have belongs to me. I'll go as far as it takes to do whatever it takes to live up to this covenant because I am yours and you are mine. It's the, it's, the, it's the process of two becoming one. When we get married and we enter into a marriage covenant, what are we saying? The two become one. Are you tracking with me? And so it's the exchange of blood. What did Jesus do? Jesus said in Galatians chapter 3, There is no longer Jew nor Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all what? One in Christ Jesus. Because of what Jesus and because of his blood that was shed for us, we all are one blood. We are one in Christ. We are not just one with Christ, but we are all one together in Christ. It's why I tell you constantly on, on a regular basis that we cannot allow divisions to come among us before because we are all one blood in Jesus. It's, it's why what Jesus did is the only thing that can break the back of racism and prejudice in this country. Because it's his blood that combines us and makes us all one. I can't hate you. Because if I hate you, I'm hating me. And I don't want to hate me. I kind of like me. Are you tracking with me? It's the blood of Jesus. It's the blood of Jesus that released on us forgiveness and eternal life and salvation. It's in his blood because when we came one with him, he is not in hell. He's in heaven. So if we're going to be one with him, we can't be one in hell. We've got to be one with him in heaven. Does that track? You, you with me? All right. All right, we're one because of his blood. We have unity. We are forgiven. We are set free. We're one with each other. We are one with God. And I love what Jesus said. This, is a, this one will get you. Um, Jesus said to his disciples and to the hundreds of people following, in, Matt, in John chapter 6, verse 53, he said, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you can have no eternal life within you. Without this blood sacrifice, there's no eternal life. But that's what Jesus did for us. Thank you, Pastor Brandon. The next thing that would happen is there would be a name change. A name change. So we've seen here um, that there were pre-ceremony actions, there was an exchange, and then there was a cutting, and then there was blood, and then there would be a name change. This one was really good. As the blood is intermingling, as the, the men or whoever was coming into covenant were joining hands, as they were coming together and the blood was exchanging, there would be a name change. And, and the name is, is, was to establish some participation participation in the other's being. So in a, in a marriage covenant, it's one of the reasons why you take on the name of your husband often. Sometimes it's the wife, but you, you join your names together because you, we are now participating as one in life. It implied 
the exchange of personality, of uh, an exchange of character, an exchange of reputation, essence, and authority. So God changed Abram's name. We know him as Abraham, but at this point he was Abram. And he adds, and here's what God does. This is, this is so wonderful about God. He looks at Abram and he says, I'm going to give you a name change. So he adds a ham, ham. The, the Hebrew word ha is the word we know as Yahweh or God or the spirit or the breath of God, the life of God. Here's what God did. He said, Abraham, Abram, I'm going to add my name, my spirit, myself, my nature, my character, my authority to your name. So you're no longer Abram, but you are Abraham or Abra-God-M. Are you with me? He goes to Sarah. Sarah's name wasn't Sarah at this point. It was Sarai. All right? And he takes the I and he replaces it with an H, which is the he, he adds God to Sarah's name. So ladies, you're not going to get left out. I, he adds his name to him. He, well, what about God? There was an exchange of names. Before this, he had been known as Yahweh or Elohim. But now, as you read Scripture... Especially in the Old Testament, you find it written like this. He's the God of Abraham. Here's what God did. He said, I don't need your name, Abraham. But if we're going to come into covenant together, we're just going to have to be an exchange of names. So I am taking on your name. I will now be known as the God of Abraham. Eventually the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. But it started with the God of Abraham. That's what God did. What did Jesus do? When Jesus went to the cross, there was an exchange of names as well. And he became the son of man. He took on our name so that we could be called sons of God. Here's the power of it. God revealed his character, his nature, his authority, his ways in his names. And so when Abraham took on God's name, Abraham, Abraham, when he took that on, he took on all of the names of God. And when you become a Christian, notice we've taken on the name of Christ, Christian, right? We are taking on his name. We take on his nature. We take on his power. We take on his authority. So now we have all that is him is, is in us. It is a part of us and we have access to it. So when you need a healer, you just call on Jehovah Rapha, our God that heals, when you need a provider, you, you call on Je Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. When you need a God to show up and be involved in your life, you call on Jehovah Shammah, the God that is there. When you need a shepherd, when you need direction, when you need comfort, you call on Jehovah Raha, which is my shepherd. You call on the God of Jehovah Shalom or the God of peace when things are going crazy around you. You can call on the Prince of Peace. Why? Because he put his name on you. When people see you, they, they shouldn't just see you, but they ought to see God and they ought to see the love of Christ and they ought to see his nature and they ought to see his goodness and they ought to see his kindness and his gentleness and his mercy. It ought to be flowing through you because that's what God put on you. And when the world sees you, when the devil sees you, 
the devil ought to turn and run because this God has been kicking the devil's rear for thousands of years and when he sees God's name on you don't try to convince yourself of what the world is calling you all they can do is nickname you because God's already put his name on you he's already said that you're an overcomer he's already said that you're more than what the world says he's already put his name on you so don't get convinced of your nicknames and allow them to define you but be defined by the names of God that he has written on your life let's keep moving the next was the scar the sixth thing was the scar you learn anything today man um, the scar was this the scar was a sign or a seal of the covenant and so they would do a number of things sometimes they would take the wound that they had cut in their right hand and they would put some powder uh, on it some type of mud on it and cause it to form a scar they might burn it to cause it to form a scar uh, but it's specifically in the, in the case of Abram, uh, God said, I'm going to circumcise you, and that is going to be the sign or the seal of the covenant. We fast forward to the New Testament, and uh, Paul and Peter get into a big issue here, and they go back and forth, and Paul says this in Colossians, when you came to Christ, you were circumcised, not by a physical procedure, for Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. So at one point, there was a physical circumcision, but now God deals with the heart. The whole new covenant, it's all about dealing with the heart. And out of the heart, the life lives and the mouth speaks and, and God moves. So he works and he circumcises our heart and he cuts away our sinful nature. It's why we don't have to get everything right and then come to God. We come to God, give him our life, and he begins cutting away the old flesh and the old problems and the old hang-ups of our life. Number seven. They would then make a vow, they would go over the terms, and they would, they would restate what they have promised to each other. They would pronounce the blessings and the curses, but they had to do it aloud. Why do we go to our wedding and why do we say our vows loud in front of everyone? Because that's what they did all the way back to the days of Abraham. You would pronounce them so that everyone could hear it and everyone could um, be a witness that you were going to stand up and do what you said you were going to do. Why is it then that when we come to God, uh, you know, we, here's, here's what they would say. Everything I have is yours. Everything you have is mine. If something happens to you, your covenant partner will see to it. That's me, that your wife and children are taken care of. That's what they would vow these things together. But for us, God has promised eternal life. He's promised His Holy Spirit. He's promised that we would have a family in the body of Christ. He's promised that we'd be a part of the kingdom of God. He's promised us grace, and He's promised us mercy. He's promised us forgiveness of sins. There's so many things that He's promised. In Hebrews chapter 6, verse 9, the Bible tells us simply this. That, but, but, beloved, we are confident of better things th concerning you. Yes, things that accompany salvation. Things that accompany salvation. There's more to it than just salvation. Salvation would have been enough, but God is promising us more than just that. Jesus already went to the cross to cut covenant. How far do you think he would go to keep up his promises? If he's already given his life, he'll go to the ends of the earth to keep up his promises to you. Those things that accompany salvation. But we too have to make a vow. Paul said it like this in the book of Romans, that we must confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord, and then we'll be saved. We don't get to enter into covenant if we don't confess with our mouths. 
They say, we raise our hands and we say, let's pray a sinner's prayer. Why do we pray it out loud? Because it's a vow that we are making out loud. Number eight. We're about to close here. The two parties would come together and they would plant a tree. They would plant a tree. They would come together and, and they would dig a hole and they would plant a tree. This tree was, would last beyond them as a sign as, and as a witness to everyone else as to what had happened with that covenant. Well, here's the truth. Christ carried his tree to the top of Gol- Golgotha. He planted it in the ground, and just as on the blood covenant, they would sprinkle the blood of the sacrifice on the tree. That's the same thing that Jesus did. His blood wasn't just shed, but his, shed was on, his blood was shed on the cross at Calvary. And now we look to the cross, and we don't just see the suffering of our Savior, but we see the hope that it represents. We see the grace that is released because of it, and we see the life that it ensures because it represents what Jesus did of a covenant that he cut for you and I. Yes, it was a covenant of blood, and it was an ugly thing, and it was a brutal thing, and it cost him his life, but what it represents is the promises and the covenant that he wanted to make with you and I. Number nine, one of the final steps in ancient covenant making was the celebration of the covenant meal. It would include bread and wine, which represented the body and the blood of the covenant partners. As they ate, they made their concluding declarations. They made their final expressions. Sarah went and made a meal for Abram and the representatives of God that they could eat. So we end today where we began in 1 Corinthians 11. Paul saying this, On the night he was betrayed, he took some bread and gave thanks. This is my body. The body, the the bread representing the body. Fulfillment of old blood covenant. He said, this is the wine, this is the blood of my new covenant. And I love this. He says, every time you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. Every time you take this covenant meal that he he wanted us to keep taking, because every time it is a reminder of all the things he went through to be in the covenant with you. It's a reminder Because in Paul's day, they were facing persecution on every turn. People were literally giving their lives. And Paul said, you need to come together and you need to remind yourselves of the Lord's death or the covenant that he made with you that begins with, if you'll follow him, even if it costs you your life here on earth, you'll gain eternal life in heaven. But while you're here, he's promised forgiveness of sins. He's promised grace and mercy. He's promised love. He's promised to fight for you. Hey, when you're going through difficult times, the the, the covenant meal reminds us that God wants to fight for us. You should have received the communion elements when you came in. I I want to invite you to take this covenant meal with me, but before we do, I need to ask you a very, very important question. Are you in covenant with God? Or have you been going it alone? Wanting just enough relationship with God that you could get into heaven, but not enough that you have to give Him your whole life. You see, God already gave everything. Jesus already paid the ultimate price. What is our price? 
We have to give him our life. We have to give him our heart. We have to make him Lord. Jesus said, whoever tries to keep his life will lose it. But whoever gives up his life for my sake in this covenant, when you give it to God, you will actually gain your life and you will gain eternal life. So if you're here today, I'm going to ask every person in the room to close your eyes and bow your head with me for just a moment. You say, Pastor Randon, I've known about God. I've known, known of God. I've prayed. Maybe I've worshipped. But I'm not really in covenant with God. You need a covenant with our Creator today. You need to give your life to Him. You need to make that confession of faith and that belief in your heart. And you need to give it all to Him. I want to lead you in a prayer. Would you just slip up your hand if you're watching at home, if you're watching online and Facebook? I want to pray with you. If you want to come into covenant with God today, would you just slip your hand up very quickly? Yep, I see hands going up. I see hands going up. If you're watching online, if you're watching on Facebook, raise your hand. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You may put those down. Let's pray all together, asking everyone to say this prayer with me. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to enter into a covenant with me. He gave his life for me. Now I'm giving you my life. I give you all of me. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. I want to be in covenant with you. I want to live with you forever. Forgive me of my sins. In Jesus' name, amen.